probably been close to 30 years since I have been back and preached at my home church in O'Fallon, Missouri. I remember in those early years, whenever I would go back there and preach, that the people would be so proud and so happy to have me preach to them. And rightfully so, they had invested their lives into my life for 22-plus years. Some of them probably had taken care of me in the church nursery. Some of them, I, I know, were my Sunday school teachers through the years and vacation Bible school teachers. Some of, me, some of them had me into their home. I had spent the night with their kids, and their kids had spent the night with me. I remember going to church camp with their kids. Some of them went as sponsors during that week. I remember things at church camp, uh, some of the best memories of my growing up years spiritually, sitting around the campfire out there under the stars and Lots of singing, and someone would give a devotional challenge to us. And those were very impressionable moments. And I remember, too, the Bible dramas that we would have at church camp. And there was, was always seemingly a hitch in the drama. Uh, the most memorable of those was the night we reenacted the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Someone had doused the wood with gasoline. And it was time for Elijah to call down fire from heaven. And, and we prayed. And we were waiting for God to send down the fire from heaven. And there was somebody on top of the chapel roof that was to be lighting a rag and throwing it down onto the pile of wood below. And, and fire would, would happen there. And God would be answering uh, Elijah's prayer. And Elijah prayed. And there was no fire. And we were waiting. We're, where's the fire at? And, Apparently, they were having trouble getting the rag lit on top of the roof. And finally, when they got the rag lit, they threw it down and missed the pile of wood. <laughs> Just those kinds of things that happen at church camp, you, you remember them. They don't go out of your mind. So many memories that I have as a kid in church. Youth group hay rack rides. Trips to Forest Park and the the St. Louis Zoo, and Cardinal Ball Games, youth group trips to the games together. Uh, those folks were there, I'm sure, many of them, the night that I was baptized, March 16th, 1969. And some of them would have been there the night that I walked forward at a CIY conference at St. Louis Christian College, and I dedicated my life to full-time Christian service. They were there, many of them, as I went off to Bible college in the fall of 1977. And again, they were there the night I was ordained into the Christian ministry. The elders of the church gathered around me and prayed over me. The people were happy for me. And there was a big reception afterwards and lots of hugs and lots of well wishes. And so, for the young preacher boy to come back and preach at the home church, that was pretty exciting for them and for me. And I can't help but think that those are the same kinds of feelings that the people in Nazareth had when Jesus came back to preach to them for the first time in their synagogue. They were all excited to have him back. They, they're proud of him. 
They are remembering the days gone by when he was just a little tot running around their neighborhood. And they remember him in the synagogue on the Sabbath days. And some of them, I'm sure, were in that band of people that had gone to Jerusalem when Jesus had turned 12. It was his first trip to the temple. And some of them were there as, as, the, as they headed back towards Nazareth. And somewhere along the way, Mary and Joseph realized that Jesus wasn't with them. And, and I'm sure the whole band of people from Nazareth that were in that clan were concerned. They were, they were just so anxious about what could have happened to Jesus. And, and as they see Joseph and Mary go back towards the city, they're hoping and they're praying and They're so happy when Joseph and Mary show back up with Jesus in hand. They're remembering those kinds of things. They remember as he has grown older and they've seen him in the carpentry shop with his dad. And as he has gone away, they're hearing reports about him doing some pretty amazing things. Why, just a few miles away, over in Cana, they have heard that he turned the water into wine at a wedding reception that he attended. And then on a few miles further than that, in Capernaum, they've heard that he healed a nobleman's son who was about to die. The fact that he just spoke the word and the boy got well. And they're hearing, too, that he has a band of disciples who are following him everywhere he goes. And he's baptizing more and more people. And now he's coming home to preach. You can imagine their excitement. I'm betting that the synagogue was full of people that day there in Nazareth. And they are so proud and they are so anxious to hear from the hometown boy who has become quite famous. And verse 16 of Luke chapter 4 says that he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. Let me read to you verses 17 through 20. Of Luke chapter 4. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Can you picture this in your mind? Can you feel the suspense? I mean, every eye and every ear of the people in that synagogue is fixed upon Jesus They are wondering what he is about to say. He has just read a very familiar passage of scripture to them from the prophet Isaiah. It is a description of the Messiah whom they are all waiting for. And they and their minds are wondering what's Jesus going to say about this passage about the Messiah. And verse 21 says, And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
What did he just say? Do you understand what he has just said to them? He has just said to them that he is the Messiah. He has said, this person whom we are all waiting for, this messianic scripture that I have just read to you, I am that guy in that scripture. And I'm sure the people are looking at one another and they are whispering to each other and they are trying to figure out what he has just said and did he say what we think he said? Verse 22 says they were all speaking well of him. I have a footnote in my Bible that says that that simply means they were testifying of him. I'm thinking what's going on there is they're reminiscing with each other. They're they're whispering to one another and they're saying, Isn't this the guy uh, that's the son of Joseph? Isn't this the one who has grown up in our village? Isn't this the one who has played with our children? Did he just say to us that he's the Messiah? And as they are trying to sort all of this out in their minds, Jesus speaks again. Verse 23, I'll read it from the New Living Translation. It's a little easier to understand. He said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. And I'm thinking by this time the people's heads are spinning. They are trying to figure out what Jesus has just said to them and what he is implying to them. And sure, they, they'd like to see some miracles. Who wouldn't? They've heard of these miracles that have taken place in towns around them. They want to see some for themselves. But now he's getting a little pointed in his message. He's saying no prophet is welcome in his own hometown. They thought that they were coming to hear just a feel-good kind of sermon and everybody would go away and they would be encouraged and and they would feel good about themselves and and they would feel good about their homegrown preacher and and it would just be a feel-good kind of day. But now all of a sudden, the sermon has gotten sharp. And it's aimed directly at them, and they're not feeling so good. But it's about to get even more intense. Let me read to you verses 25 through 27. Jesus is speaking here. He says, But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And we talked last week about the prejudice that most Jews had towards those who were not Jews. 
And they had such a pride in themselves. And they were the chosen people of God. And no one else was of any account at all in their minds. And all of a sudden, Jesus, in a few short minutes, has blown all of that kind of thinking out of the water. He says to them, do you remember Elijah the prophet? During the famine? He wasn't sent to any widow within the confines of Israel. He was sent to a widow in Zarephath who would take care of him. A non-Jew. And do you remember Elisha the prophet? And he healed the Syrian named Naaman. There were all kinds of lepers in Israel during Elisha's day. But he didn't heal them. He healed a Syrian, a non-Jew. And in essence, what he was saying to them was that the Jews were not the only fish in the sea. That God loved all people and His grace was extended to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. Yes, it was God's plan to work through the Jews, but His grace had not nor would it be limited only to the people of Israel. God's grace and God's love was for all people. And all of a sudden, the hometown boy had crossed the line. It couldn't stand to hear these words that he was speaking to them. Verse 28 says, they were filled with rage as they heard these things. The NIV says, they were furious. The Greek word is thumos, T-H-U-M-O-S. It's an anger that is very heated and it's boiling over. In other words, these people were ticked off at Jesus more than just a little bit. They were seething at him. He had crossed the line and their wrath demanded a response. Let me read to you verses 29 and 30. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went their way. The hometown reception turned into a murderous mob. Their intention was nothing short of killing Jesus. They were out of control. And yet somehow, as they brought him to the edge of the cliff, their plan was thwarted. The, the text says that he passed through the crowd and went on his way. How did he do that? I mean, picture this in your mind. Probably none of us have ever been in that kind of a, a, a crowd that is out of control, but we've seen that kind of a thing on TV before. We, we know that one person against a murderous mob really is <laughs> limited in what he can do. And this mob was intent on killing Jesus. They grabbed him, literally. They forced him to the brow of their hill that the city was built on. I read this last week that there was a, there was a hill, a precipice right there, about 40 feet of a drop-off on the edge of Nazareth. That's where they were at. They were going to throw him off the cliff. And somehow, 
they didn't have their way. He passed through the crowd and went on his way. How did he do that? Your guess is as good as mine. But it had to have been a miracle. It just was not yet his time to die. And I want to go back for as we've looked at the whole summary of this passage of Scripture now. I want to go back to verses 18 and 19 and look at those verses just a little bit more closely because in those verses, the mission of Jesus is defined for us. And I can't help but think his mission should be our mission. First of all, he came to preach the good news. And I do find it interesting that out of all the things Jesus could have chosen to do on this earth, he chose to be a preacher. I was at a conference this last week. Uh, Mark Scott, many of you will remember him, was one of the speakers. And he happened to say this in one of his messages. God had only one son, and he called him to be a preacher. Amen to that. For young people that are here today, I want you to hear what I have to say. There is no greater calling than that of preaching the good news of the kingdom. No greater calling than that of preaching the good news of the kingdom. But whether you choose to do that for a living or whether you choose to be a carpenter or a nurse or a doctor or a school teacher or whatever it might be that you choose to do with your life, if you have the Spirit of God upon you, then He will be leading you to preach the good news to those around you. If you're a carpenter, you should be looking for opportunities to preach the good news. If you're a banker, you should be looking for opportunities to preach the good news. If you work in a warehouse, you should have your eyes open and your your antennas, your spiritual antennas up. And you should be looking for opportunities to preach the good news. And don't be afraid of the word preach. I'm using it very generally. It simply means to proclaim. It it means to tell the good news, to announce glad tidings. Good news is not something that you should keep to yourself. Good news is something that you should share with others. If you go to the doctor and you get good news, what do you do with that news? You share it, don't you? You want to tell others about that good news. If, young people, you get a test back from your teacher and you've studied hard for it and you get a good grade on it, what do you want to do with that good news? You want to share it. You want to tell somebody. What if you get a refund on your taxes? Or you get a promotion at work? What do you do with that good news? You want to tell somebody. How about this? Your favorite team wins the game. What do you want to do with that? You want to tell somebody. A lot of us last night were at the games. They are at the gym in Fort Scott. And we, the girls won. As soon as they won, I got on my phone and I texted my three kids and said, Hey, the girls are going to state. They won the game. Good news. You tell people. Good news. When you have it, Jesus came to preach the good news. You might note that it says he came to preach the good news to the poor. Well, we all are poor because of our sin. 
We are nothing without him. We are destitute. We are bankrupt. We are without hope except for the fact that he came to give us hope. He is our hope. And so Jesus' mission was to come and preach the good news. And that should be our mission. Let me give you a second point here as to why Jesus came. He came to heal the hurting. And you see that not only in the text that we've read, but you see that actually lived out in his ministry. He was all about healing the hurting. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. This actually is the passage of Scripture from from Isaiah that Jesus read to the people that day in Nazareth. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. I want to highlight that phrase, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. What's that mean? Well, to bind up means to heal, to bandage, to gird, or to wrap. It's the idea of giving strength to the ones who are crushed in spirit. That's what the word brokenhearted means. He came to bring healing to the ones who are bruised or shattered. It's a picture of a doctor setting right a broken bone. But in this case, the doctor is Jesus, and he came to mend our broken hearts. He came to heal our spirits that are crushed. And I would almost bet there are a number of people right here in this room who could be described in that way. People whose hearts are broken. People whose spirits are crushed. Maybe it's because their marriage is broken or their family is broken. That has a way of crushing our spirit, doesn't it? Maybe a friendship is broken or our plans just have not worked out the way we wanted wanted them to. Maybe someone dear to our heart has been taken away from us and our hearts are broken over that. I want you to know Jesus came to to heal or to mend your broken heart. And he can do that for you if you look to him. Psalms 34:18 says, "The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit." One preacher said it this way, "When we are crushed, the Lord gets closer. His presence is powerfully present in the lives of shattered saints. And I'm thinking, if that was the mission of Jesus, if that was characteristic of his ministry, shouldn't that be characteristic of our ministry too? Shouldn't that be our mission, that we should be his hands and his feet in trying to bring healing to the brokenhearted? And so often what that requires more than anything is just our presence and our love. We may not have the words to say that will take away somebody's pain, but oftentimes just our being there 
is what they need. And that means we need to take the time to be there for people. We need sometimes to lay aside our busyness and remember that people come first. Let that Could that sink into your mind for a moment? People come first over our busy schedule. I was so, and a perfect example of this. Last, a week ago yesterday, I had gotten word about Edith Lafarge and her family, the hurt that they were going through of her son passing away, Dwayne. And so on Saturday morning, first thing, I had made arrangements to go and see Edith. And there was lots of snow on the ground. In fact, I had to park on... Where she was staying at, at her daughter's, I had to park on the street and walk uh, towards the house. It, it was too treacherous to try and get down the driveway and back. But as I walked into the house, Jean and Margaret Winter were already there. Taking the time to show love, to just be there. And Edith's heart was broken. And I, I know that there was nothing that Jean or Margaret could say to take the pain away. But I know too that just their presence there said everything that needed to be said. That's what I'm getting at. If you and I are going to be involved in a broken heart healing kind of ministry... It's going to take time. It's going to take your presence. It's going to take your love. Not necessarily the right words, but just your willingness to be there. And that's the kind of ministry Jesus had. And that's the kind of ministry I think we should have. It should be more than just a few having that kind of ministry all of us need to be having, again, our spiritual antennas up, our eyes open, our ears open. How can I help be the hands and feet of Jesus in bringing healing to people's lives? You work with them. You go to school with them. You live next door to them. People who are hurting. We should look to be there for them the very best that we can. Let me give to you a third point as we think about the ministry, the mission of Jesus. He came to set people free. Did you note the terminology there in Luke chapter 4? He came to proclaim release to the captives and to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus was all about setting people free. He freed people from their sin. He freed people from demonic oppression. He freed people from their past. He freed people from themselves. And He is still in that line of business today. There is no habit or sin that He cannot free you from if you turn yourself over to Him. In fact, I think it would be good for just a moment for us to give testimony this morning, and I'm not talking of a long testimony, I just want one word, one word from you of what He has freed you from 
in times past? What has he freed you from? Worry. Thank you. Praise God for that. What else? Yes. But what kind? What, what has he specifically freed you from? Fear. Yes. Anger? Is that what somebody said? Rick, what did you say? Greed? Okay. Somebody back here? Bitterness. He's freed us from these things. Praise God. What else? Has anybody here, has he freed you from alcohol? Anybody? Has he freed you from drugs? Has he freed you from pornography? Has he freed you from cursing? I mean, anybody here, has he freed you from cigarettes? I, I'm, I bet this list could just go on and on. Of, of what He has freed us from. He is still in the business of setting people free. Has He freed you from prejudice? Anybody here, has He freed you from depression? Has He freed you from jealousy? The list can go on and on of what He has freed us from. I'll tell you something I've been freed from. Just recently I had a had a boy really hurt my daughter. <laughs> he wasn't nice to her. And as the dad, you know what I want to do to him? <laughs> I want to get my hands on him. I want to have a talk with him at the very least. And it's tempting. It's tempting to think in my mind, what can I do? <laughs> How can I get even? What can I do to make this right? Tempting to be bitter. Tempting to be angry. And praise God, He has freed me from that. He has freed me from that. I've given it to Him. He is still in the business of freeing us. And if that's His mission, shouldn't that be a part of our mission too? Helping people become free from those things that would enslave them. Every time you point a person towards Jesus, you are helping set them free. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, says John 8, 36. So what are you doing to help set people free? Are you reaching out to them? Are you witnessing to them, sharing your testimony with them? You know, the very best person to help the one who is enslaved is the one who has at one time walked in their footsteps. And so who better 
can help the alcoholic than the one who has been there themselves in times past. Who better can help deliver the one from drugs than the one who has been there before? I mentioned to you about my brother and his story of how God recently delivered him from depression and anxiety issues. That has opened up a whole new door of ministry for him to empathize and help other people who are dealing with those same issues. If God has delivered you from a sinful past, you should be willing to reach out to others and help deliver them from that same oppression. Comfort He has given to you, you should be giving that same comfort to others. So three points today about Jesus' mission. He came to preach. He came to heal. And He came to set people free. Your, your mission, your ministry should resemble His mission and ministry. And I'll tell you, the same Holy Spirit who empowered Him will empower us if we will submit to Him. Let's pray together. God, give us a heart for ministry. Help us to understand we have been saved to serve not been saved to sit but we have been saved to serve we have been saved to reach out and touch other people's lives I thank you for Jesus I thank you that he wasn't one who softened the message even when he went back home he preached the truth knowing that there wasn't going to be a good response. But he was more concerned about the truth than he was about people patting him on the back. God, I want to be that kind of preacher. Help all of us to submit and let the Holy Spirit fill us up. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.